All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to finish up something we started last week. Uh, I'm going to read the text, then we'll pray, and then we'll dig in. All right? Here's the text. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. Jesus came to us when we couldn't get to God. God came to us. Uh, he lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the grave, offering salvation to all people. Then we talked about sanctification, talked about growing to be like Christ, which is verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Right. So today you see Jesus in the past accomplishes salvation. Jesus today empowers us to walk with him. And then we see something in the future in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray over the next few moments that you open up our eyes, that you open up our hearts, that we can see your glory. Father, I pray that you help us focus. I pray that this year, uh, the year 2020, is radically different. I pray that you move. I pray that this truth grips our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to start... Um, just with a question, and I'm asking for some feedback, raised hand. Um, today's topic is a unique topic, um, something we don't hit on too, too much, although the New Testament hits on it a ton. And so I think it's important that we are clear with this topic, but it's about the second coming of Christ. What we believe, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus spoke about, is that He is coming back for His people. And so... I want, on a scale of 1 to 10, some people just give me some feedback. How confident are you on the knowledge of the second coming of Christ? Saying, yeah, I know about that. I've read about it. I, I understand it. Or, is it, hey, this is the first time I've heard of it. Does anybody want to share? Just some quick feedback. Who, do you th who in here is a 7 to a 10? I know about the second coming. I know he's going to come back. Right? Who's about a 0 to 3? Man, I've heard Jesus coming back, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a lot of people, right? Um, this is a unique topic. Now, we're going to avoid some of the pitfalls that many people have fallen into, and at the same time, hold to the truth with both hands. All right, so what you have in 1988. Now, most of you guys weren't around 1988. Some of you were. In 1988, Edgar Wisnant was an apocalypticist, meaning he could predict when the end was coming. And he wrote this book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988. He bought 300,000, gave these 300,000 copies away to pastors all across America, and there was four and a half million copies sold in the United States. That's a lot of books being sold. Now, here's the problem. You and I are still here, and Jesus still has not come. And, and so he had this problem once 1988 passed, and so nothing happened on September 13th, so he revised his prediction. And, and I love um, how literal he was on his interpretation, on his prediction. Right? He, he was very detailed-oriented. And so he said, you know what? It wasn't September 13th. I messed up. It is going to be on September 15th at 10.55 a.m. 10.55 a.m. Be raised. Nothing happened. 
Then he moved it to October the 3rd. And they said, well, I'm a little off. It'll just be a few more weeks. A few more weeks passed. And then finally he said, uh, I've messed up. There was this Gregorian calendar that threw me off a year. And no joke, he came up with another book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1989. Crazy, right? And he kept on publishing in 1990 and 91, all the way up to 1997, then he stopped. In 2001, he passed away. And now here's the problem, I think, with this. And you'll hear a few more examples of people predicting this. You've seen posters that the end is near. The world is coming to an end. Jesus is coming back. And I think it happens in every church that we've got to be careful to guard against the boy who cried wolf attitude. Right? So if you know the story, if I remember correctly, this boy's keeping watch over the shepherds or over the sheep, and he yells out to the townspeople, hey, there's a wolf! And every time he yelled wolf, the townspeople would come up. They're ready to defend the sheep. And the boy's like, ha, gotcha, just kidding. Townspeople walk back home. He'd do it again. Hey, there's a wolf. I need help. They come running to his aid, and there's no wolf. And they get mad at this guy. And they're like, man, quit doing that. And they go back home. And then all of a sudden, there really were wolves. And he yells out. But the townspeople are like, no, nah, we're not falling for that. We're not doing it. And the wolves destroy the sheep. And I think the moral of the story was um, you can't trust a liar even when he's telling the truth. And I think sometimes when we hear about Jesus' returning, it's a shrug of the shoulders like the villagers and the boy who cried wolf. And so I wish I could ask another question, and I think most of you guys would be honest. Over the last week, over the last year, how has the fact that Jesus will return impacted your life? When's the last time you thought about Jesus coming back? You see, because what happens is in the New Testament, this is mentioned or referred to over 300 times. One out of every 13 verses mentions this truth. When, when you get to the letters, Paul writing to the churches, Peter and John, when you get to those letters, it's one out of every 10 verses. Right? It's something that they're hitting on consistently. And yet I wonder how big of an impact it has on my life and your life. And so today we're going to dig in what should we know about the return of Jesus and then what should we do? How does this truth impact our life? So what we believe should change how we behave. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So number one, what we should know about the coming of Jesus. And this is what I mean. I think this is a, a helpful definition. Right. This comes from a guy. Uh, his last name is Ortland. He defined it as this. The second coming of Jesus is the personal. Right. He's not sending an angel. It's not his spirit. It's a personal, visible. Every eye will see him physical. He will come in the body that was crucified, raised and glorified. Return of Jesus to this earth to bring to fulfillment the salvation of his people, to be glorified in them and to bring judgment on those who refuse to obey and defy the gospel. That's what we mean when we talk about Jesus' return. It's a very serious thing. It's a very true thing that will happen. And so there's some things we need to know about it. Number one, one thing that we know about this is that Jesus will return personally and bodily. And I think this is an amazing fact because when we celebrate Jesus, he's always in the manger. Or we look at him at Easter and he's crucified, dead, and buried. But do you know Jesus is alive today? He's at the Father's right hand, interceding on our behalf, waiting for the Father to say, go get them. Like he is alive and well today. 
We don't worship a dead Savior. He is alive and soon returning, and He's going to come back and get those who are His. In Acts 1.11, right, you have the disciples. They're, they're watching Jesus, and all of a sudden He starts ascending, floating up into the air, going to heaven. And they're just sitting there staring, and finally angels show up and listen to their message to them. And Acts 1.11 says, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, right? This Je who you just saw, who you just hung out with for the last 33 years, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And then I love what Jesus promises the disciples. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's not wasting his time. He'll be back. And so we know that Jesus himself will be back. Number two, Jesus will return suddenly and unexpectedly. Jesus will return suddenly and unexpectedly, no one knows the date and time of Jesus' return. No one. In Matthew 24, 36, listen to what Jesus says. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And yet, for some reason, there have been over 250 predictions that have gotten notoriety. Who knows how many other predictions are out there? Right? The Antichrist has been everyone from the Pope to President uh, Trump right now. And, and we're making all of these That's not why we have the word. No one knows the time. It would be unexpected, like a thief in the night. And so um, I'm reminded always of the Super Bowl. I forget what year it was. The Super Bowl of the Cardinals versus Steelers. And every time I watch that, I don't think of how good the game was. I think of, man, that's when someone broke into our home, kicked our door down, took our stuff. Right? It was pretty smooth. The lights were out. They knew nobody was home. We're out watching the Super Bowl. They have our attention for four hours for this game. We'll even watch the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Right? And so the people who broke in knew that. Kicked the door down, grabbed their stuff. They took my comfortable pillowcase, filled it up, gone. Right? Ah, if, if I knew when they were coming, I think it'd be a different story. Right? But you don't know. And that's what Jesus was saying. No one knows the time. And so just check this out. In 500 A.D., that was a big year, a lot of people thought they were coming. There was a guy named Hippolytus and Lactanius, and they were backed up by a Roman theologian because he based his prediction on the measurements of the ark, Noah's ark. So, oh yeah, the math adds up. Year 500, Jesus will be back. Didn't happen. In 1831, William Miller garnered over 100,000 followers, and, it was, and here's the sad part. After 1843 passed, he said, my math was wrong, it's 1844. And he said, one of the guys, one of his followers said this, I waited all day Tuesday and dear Jesus did not come. I couldn't move for two days sick with disappointment. So don't buy the lie. When someone says, hey, this is the date, this is the time. One thing you know for sure is that that won't be the date and that won't be the time. Because no one knows the time. And then you have Harold Camping in 2011, said it was going to be May, but then he said his math was off, said it was going to be October. He's predicted it 12 times. It's going to happen again, right? The year 2000, the world was going to end, year 1,000. Listen, if we make it to 3,000, it'll be the end too. We don't know. It's unexpectedly and it's sudden. And so a couple of verses, if you are, just take pictures of that and look these verses up later. It's just it, Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't know. 
Shantez, if we knew you were going to bust your head on the wall, I think someone would have caught you, right? But we don't know. It happens suddenly and unexpectedly. Right? The same thing here. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And that's again and again and again in Scripture. Number three, Jesus will return visibly and gloriously. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Unlike the first time He comes. Look at the radical difference. The first time Titus says, hey, he's coming and this is grace for salvation. Now, the second time he's coming in glory and every eye will see him. You're not going to be able to kick him out into the manger because there's no room in the end. No, when he comes back, it will be in glory and every eye will see him. The world as it exists now stops. That's how glorious Jesus. That's why we're worshiping Jesus. Because the world revolves around him and his return will be glorious. You see this in Matthew 24, 30. He will be coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then Titus 2, 13, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Visible and glorious. Number four, Jesus will return to save and bring home those who are his to be with him forever. Now, my faith is in Christ, and so there's this aspect of my salvation is already. Right? When, when I was seven, I asked Jesus to save me. I understood I was a sinner. I trusted Him to forgive me and to save me. And yet, I'm still battling sin. And I'm still marching towards the grave. And so there's an already aspect of my salvation, but there's also a not yet aspect of my salvation. And this is what I'm waiting on. And when he returns, I will be saved because that's why he comes back. As a matter of fact, in John 14, 3, you heard that he goes to prayer place, he'll come again. But do you know why? He'll take us to be with himself that we may be with him forever. That is an awesome, awesome promise. Not only that, not only are we going to see him personally and boldly or see him personally and bodily, they show up suddenly and unexpectedly, but will also be changed forever. Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from there we await a savior. Now check out what happens here. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things under himself. All of us, if you live long enough, will have issues with your body. It's not a very glorious body, right? You'll have injuries, you'll get sick, things will go wrong, but that won't be the case all the time. When Jesus comes back, we will be changed. And so those are a lot of facts, right? That's a lot of knowledge, stuff you should know. Now, this is why that's important. Number one, what we should do because of the second coming of Jesus. This is what we know about it. This is what we should do. Be eternally ready. Respond with faith in Christ. Because Jesus is coming back and we don't know when, Respond with faith in Jesus Christ. Be eternally ready. In Hebrews 9.27 it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been once and offered for all to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. One of the ways you know that you are saved is by how you are waiting for Jesus now. If it doesn't make a difference in your life, you probably do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
If you cannot wait for him to return, it's an indication that you are saved. That's why he's coming back. And, and this, is, this reminds me of cutting grass with my dad. Um, ever since I was in sixth grade, I was able to weed eat, right? And I had training after training after training. And so I started, um, we, we did a church, and if you've ever been to churches, a lot of churches have sidewalks, and those sidewalks keep going. And there's two sides of the sidewalk, and we had to weed eat both sides. Well, Dad would get to mow, because you got more expensive equipment. He's not going to trust a sixth grader out on a lawnmower, but he trusts you with a weed eater, right? And so I'm learning, and I'm go I've done this for 20 years, and almost every week he would say, hey, Ben, you know when you weed eat, you should wear your goggles. Right. Well, in sixth grade, I didn't have a choice. But by the time I got older, by 16, 17, you know what? I can't have to wear goggles if I don't want to. Dad would say, hey, Ben, you probably need to wear goggles when you weed eat. I'm like, Dad, I'm all right. It slows me down. It's uncomfortable. They look hideous. I ain't got time for that. Ben, you know you need to. And this went on and on. Well, this was I was in college. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. And I remember I'm at Heritage Bank in Burlington. I'm going around the side, going around the ditch that I've weed eat about 100 times. And there's little pebbles. Sure enough, I hit one of those pebbles and it bounces off my eyeball before I could blink. And if you've ever been hit in your eye, all of a sudden things go dark. I couldn't see. And you know the cartoon where you start seeing stars? That happens. That really. So it hits me and I'm woozy and I know the road's behind me. I'm like, oh, I can't fall into a car. I try to open my eyes. I can't. And all of a sudden I start seeing stars. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And this is what I thought. I didn't think, oh, man, I lost my vision. I thought if dad sees me holding my eye, I'm done. Right. By then it was too late to put on goggles. The damage has been done. I wasn't ready. I've been doing it for a long time. No consequences. I'm afraid this will characterize a lot of people. You've made it a long time without Jesus returning. But you're not ready. And you can be. Don't be like me, stubborn and with a weed eater. Put your faith in Christ. What's holding you back from following Jesus? Here, here's the crazy part. A lot of people think that when you come to Christ, uh, you're, you're letting go of your best life. You can't do what you want to do. Here's the awesome part. When you come to Christ... He knows exactly how he created you. He knows exactly why you were created. And he will help you fulfill the purposes he has for you. Your best life is in Christ, not away from him. So you need to be eternally ready. Number two, be eagerly waiting. Be eagerly awaiting his return. Uh, this, this one, it gives us perspective and this gives us purpose. If you're waiting for him, if you're really waiting for him, it helps align your life. And, and so for perspective, look at Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, our home's there, not here. Don't get too comfortable. This gives us perspective. Now, yesterday was one of the greatest sports days of 2019. Seriously. Well, unless your team lost. But I mean, think about it. You had the UK L game. You had the NCAA Final Four football playoffs. Like, like this is some big stuff. And I was reading, um, I saw a guy post on Twitter with the UK uh, L game. This was his quote. He says, off to Lexington, this was a L fan, off to Lexington to sit in a hostile building for two hours and to have my mood determined for the next week by a game played by 18 to 22 year olds. Seriously. This ruined some people's day yesterday. If you're an Ohio State fan, you don't want to see a guy wearing referee stripes. 
Right? It ruins your day. And yet, when you, when you come, it helps us hold loosely things we should hold loosely. Is it really important, guys running up and down field or a basketball court throwing a ball in a hoop? It also gives us perspective with our money. Think about this. If our citizenship is in heaven, we can start aligning our lives to what really matters. I want to invest instead of spend for my own comfort here. Do you see how, how this gives us perspective? I don't want to get too caught up in things that don't matter. And it's amazing how caught up we get in things that don't matter. Don't get caught up in your comfort. You're not home yet. Don't get caught up in your bank account. It won't last. You don't get to take it with you. Don't get caught up in your popularity. It doesn't matter. Get caught up in the things of Jesus because when he returns, he's taking you home. And so align your life to the things that eternally matter. This gives us perspective. Uh, so be eagerly awaiting, right? If I'm waiting for something, it helps. So getting married, right? Now this is going back a ways for me. Thank goodness it was before engagement photos were popular. Uh, we didn't have to do that. Um, but here's the crazy part. I would have, right? And, and I remember going in. I went to some dude's house to talk about pictures. I don't care about pictures. But we kind of wanted the day to remember. Now you got videographer. It makes me nervous thinking about the girls on how much we have to prepare for the wedding. But I remember we would go through all this and our days would align because something was coming because we were eagerly awaiting something. And the same way, if you're eagerly waiting for Jesus, it's going to change how you live your life right now. So let this give you perspective this next year because Jesus is coming back. Let's walk with him now. But then also it gives us a purpose. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, uh, this is Paul speaking. And Paul, uh, he, he goes, I fought the good fight. And this guy is the Muhammad Ali of walking with Christ. This guy went through the ringer. He goes on missionary trips and churches are born. Like, like this guy has a faith. He goes, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so somehow him eagerly waiting on Jesus to either show up or meet him through the grave is changing how he's living life. It gives him endurance to keep going forward. It gives him purpose. That's why he fought the fight. That's why he finished the race. So I kept the faith. I can remember showing up my first class in college. And listen, I am not one of those guys uh, that love school. Right. It, it was uh, it was painful in high school uh, and it wasn't any more enjoyable in college. And, and I know I, I had to go to, to uh, college to get a degree just to go to seminary as I knew I was going to be a pastor. So I felt like, man, this is a waste of time. Why can't I just go on to seminary? Right, because that's what I want to do. And so I picked the easiest degree I could figure out, and it was sociology, right? Less uh, core requirements, so I got to do more electives, but I had to do English classes. And I show up to this first English class, and, and I don't know about you, but as a freshman, I was not eagerly awaiting the start of my college uh, life. So I go in, sit down. There's only 20 students in the class, which is terrible if you plan on skipping. Um, and so I sit down, first day of class, and I look around. Everybody has this book, right? It's this thick 453-page book called Catch-22. I'm like, oh, look at these overachievers. They already went to the bookstore, right? I'm waiting for the syllabus. We might not even have to have that. If it's not a requirement, I'm not buying that book. Well, and here comes the professor, and I mean, 
Professor, very intellectual, Mr. Shuttermeyer. He goes, guys, I need you to put your stuff away. I'm like, ha, ah, beat you. I already got my stuff away. I need you to get out a piece of paper. Ugh. All right, get a piece of paper and pencil. We're going to have a test over Catch-22. All right, and I look around, I'm like, oh, this guy's funny. Nobody else was laughing. They had their stuff away. They had their pencils and paper. I'm like, hey, man, what do you mean? How can we have a test over this? He's like, man, this was your summer reading. Summer, I'm like, ah. Oh. So he gave me the test. He goes, all right, I need you to write down. And I only got credit for one question. I was hoping he'd split it up into two. What was the title of the book and the author? Man, I got that one. Books were everywhere. Ah, Catch-22 uh, by Joseph Heller. And then they go, what was the purpose? Right? I need a full-page essay on the purpose of the book. I have no idea. Right? Bombed my first test in college. But couldn't drop it because it was a requirement. Why did I stay in that class? I didn't like the professor. I hated the reading. I was already way behind because I needed a degree. And you see, because I could focus on, well, I need a degree and this is a requirement, I'm going to stick with this. The same thing happens when you are eagerly waiting for Christ. You can put up with a lot of garbage because you know how this thing ends. For me, college ended with a degree. I knew that's where I was going so I could endure a bad class. Life ends with the crown of righteousness, eternal life with Jesus. I can endure whatever comes my way. That's what Paul said. And it's not just for him, it's for anyone who loves his appearing. So my question is, do you long to see Jesus? Right? That was number two, be eagerly waiting. Number three, be encouragingly growing. Be encouragingly, this means growing with confidence. Growing with confidence. In Philippians 3.20 it says, our citizenship is in heaven. But then it goes on to say, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him. And then later on in Philippians, he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. I, I love that statement. That gives me encouragement. Why? Because I'm not there yet. I'm still growing in Christ. I think, I'll I, I put it in my own life, I thought I was patient until I got married, right? And then I thought I had patience down until I had kids, right? And then I thought I was doing really good on patience until we had to do Legos yesterday. Now, we had a Lego set. Oh, this is nothing. This is only 363 Legos, right? Unfortunately, we had two Lego sets this year, and the other one's a monster. I'm a little bit worried about it. Camden loves Legos. And so you see this piece, and you see this piece. This is what worries me, the 363. So we sat down and we started. And I started putting things together. She starts helping. I'm like, how in the world is this thing going to come out of it? There are over 150 steps to get to this. 157 little Legos, right? You go to put one, it doesn't snap right, boom, goes across the room. Okay, I need help. I can't find it. It's under the couch. Move it. Painful. Painful. But you want to know what was encouraging getting through this? I knew eventually, if we stuck with it, we would get this and we would get this. And she was happy. Right? I knew how this thing was going to end. In the same way, we know how this is going to end. One day my sin will be dealt with. Until then, I want to keep growing in that. I want to keep putting the blocks together. So this is my prayer for me, and this is my prayer for you. I hope you look more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. Because one day we will. And so when I look at Jesus in the New Testament, and I see how he moves and he's filled with grace towards others, I want to be that. 
When I see the peace, he's able to sleep through a storm and the disciples are like, oh, we're going to die. I want that peace to characterize my life. So when chaos is going on out here, I want to be at peace because I want to grow to be like Christ. I want to grow in how I love others. I want to grow in my faith in Christ. And I know how this is going to end. And so I'm encouraged to keep growing. That's number three. Number four. Enduringly hopeful. Enduringly hopeful. And that's our, our text from today. Titus uh, 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Just this week, just this week, if you've watched the news, there's not much good news. Just yesterday, um, 11 Christians were beheaded in Nigeria. You want to know what gives them hope in a land of persecution? That Jesus is going to come back and make this right. He knows what's going on. He's not asleep at the will. He gives him hope. But then you, you keep looking. Uh, Marvin Jones, wide receiver for the Lions, has to bury his six-month-old son. And then you have the offensive coordinator for LSU, uh, daughter-in-laws, flying to the game, plane crashes, and five people die in a plane wreck. You see, this world is not right. It's messed up. And yet our hope is that Jesus is in control and will put all things under his feet. He will make it right. And I was reading um, the guy, Ed Stetzer is his name. He's a, a pastor, church planner. I mean, he's talking about I had a dinner with a friend last night, a guy that planted churches with me. Uh, then he moved and planted another church, was doing awesome. I got to catch up with him last night, and he said that he's no longer a believer in Jesus. And I thought it was interesting that, that that's uh, where he moved. He goes, my heart is broken. But then he concludes with this, come quickly, Jesus. You see, there's something off about where we're living. Things don't go right. And so we long for the day when Jesus will come and make it right. And when you read the book of Revelation, we know how this thing ends with Jesus doing just that. So we are enduring because we're hopeful in Jesus' return. And then finally, be evangelistically urgent. Be evangelistically urgent. Uh, evangelism is just telling people about Jesus. right? So Phil and I have a conversation. I want to tell him how Jesus can save him. And then I'll come over here, have a conversation with John. I want to tell him how Jesus... That's being evangelistically urgent. And we can see this all throughout the text. In uh, 2 Peter 3, 3-4, this is interesting. This is how Peter's explaining, because he's getting made fun of for saying, hey, Jesus is going to return. Check out what he says. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They're going to make fun of me for saying this. Right. People are going to say, ah, you said Jesus was coming. He's not here. Right. Scoffing, making fun, capping on somebody that believes this. And then he concludes this. But do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. God doesn't do time like we do time. It hasn't been a long time since Jesus has been here. He goes on to say, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why has Jesus not come back? Because there's still some that need to be saved. It reminds me of the movie Hacksaw Ridge. If you've seen this movie, it's about the first conscientious objector to receive uh, this huge governor scholar uh, medal. And he gets this medal for risking his life under fire. 
And so what happens is it's the uh, Battle of Okinawa in 1945. He doesn't want to carry a gun, so he signs up to be a medic, and he runs in while people are dying, have been shot, can't move because of the shrapnel, and he gets them down this ridge. He ties this double bowline knot so he can lower people down, and then he runs back in to where there's all sorts of chaos, bombs and bullets, and he rescues another, dragging them to safety, lowering them down the net. And I thought it was interesting, uh, this guy Desmond Doss said that this is accurate. This is one thing that he kept on repeating to himself, asking God to help me get one more. He'd lower him down the net and then he'd pray, God, help me get one more. And he'd run back in. That's exactly how we should be living now. If you know Jesus, we should be urgently going after others who do not know Jesus. And our prayer should be, help me get one more. Because when Jesus comes back, it's too late. And so those are the ways that the coming of Christ changes. And so one thing I want to do at the end of this service, I want us to observe the Lord's Supper. Right? And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 11.26 that says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The Lord's Supper looks back at what Jesus has done and looks forward to the day where we gather together with Him around the table with Jesus forever. And so before we move to the table, this is what I want us to do. One, we need to deal with our sin. We don't approach this table lightly. And so I'm going to give us a moment to pray, ask God to forgive us our sin, get right as we observe this table. This is a very serious time, but also gives us very much hope. And so I want to give you a little bit of time. I want you to pray, and then I'll close us in prayer. And then I'll ask uh, some of our men to uh, pass uh, the elements of the table around. All right? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us this morning. Father, we don't approach uh, this table lightly. And so, Father, you came to deal with sin on the cross. You paid for it, and we rest in that. So, Father, we confess our sin to you. We ask for your forgiveness. Father, I pray that as we move into this new year, that we know that when you come back, we will be changed. Our sin will be dealt with finally. But until then, help us grow to be more and more like your son. Father, I pray that we eagerly await your son's return. I pray that that aligns the rest of our lives, not just for this year coming up, but until we meet you again, whether through the air or through the grave. So, Father, I pray that as we approach the table, you align our hearts to these truths. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.